This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Hey, you know what? Yes, I can stay here in my publishing job and loving life and being comfortable. If I leave it, they're going to do fine. They don't need me. Here's an opportunity to go into a world of helping uh, influence generosity and helping open Christians' eyes to the things that they're passionate about. It may not be the world slave trade that ultimately is their call, but to call them to to use what they've been given for the ills of this world, to help to help expand the kingdom in this world. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Jeff Gott. Jeff is a friend of both my co-host John Ramstead and myself, and has been our friend for a few years. And this is a story that we've been looking forward to sharing for a while. You'll hear a lot more, but today Jeff is sharing about his move from business to ministry and now into facilitating kingdom generosity. John, unfortunately, wasn't able to make this interview, but here's how I got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. So today on Eternal Leadership, I'm here with Jeff Gott from Waterstone. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Steve, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So as John likes to say at the very beginning of our interviews, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born at an early age, I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, you know, I I lived a very nomadic existence growing up. I had a father in the military, so I had the privilege, really, of living around the world. uh, By the time I was 30, I had lived outside the United States for seven years. So very much a uh, creature of the world, uh, but also very much a, a nomad in search of in search of my tribe, in search of my uh, place of ultimate destination. Uh, that now is in Colorado. Uh, I married a Colorado girl, and so that gave me a good reason to be here. And it's a great place to live. But but having grown up that way, um, uh, kind of the traditional kind of roots uh, just just aren't there, right? So so uh, I have this uh, amalgamation of experiences, and that continued on in my professional life. Um, so I started my career in consulting with a group called Accenture, and uh, interestingly enough, it was there that God got hold of my life. It's not a typical place that people find Christ, and uh, uh, yet the Lord was uh, good to me there. And, so how uh, exactly did that happen? Tell, tell me yeah, about it was that through story. Yeah, it was through a workplace Bible study, um, and uh, I had grown up uh, going to church, uh, was interested in things of the faith, but I just hadn't made a personal commitment to Jesus. And, and uh, through this Bible study that happened uh, on Friday evenings, uh, uh, I just saw people who were doing the exact same thing I was professionally, but just had a piece about them that I didn't have, and and I wanted it, and uh, and it was an amazing Bible study. So it wasn't a church; it really yeah. was a group of believers, and and I just uh, saw something fresh, and within. Uh, four months of starting that Bible study, I, I gave my life to the Lord. I, I tell the story because I'm not one who's given much to visions, but the vision that I had was of a of a person standing on one of those Olympic high diving boards over a pool of crystal clear water, and that person was me, and I was dying of thirst. And all I had to do was step off and have all the water I could hope to drink, um, but I had to step off, and uh, and that's that was my conversion experience. 
So there, you were there at Accenture. You're in this work Bible study. God gets a hold of you, and talk talk about your career path there at Accenture. Yeah. So for those in the listening audience who don't know the consulting world, they basically bring in young meat and work you to death, and most people leave after two years. I say I'm I'm three times slower than the average guy because it took me six years before I left. But in those six years, I just got a broad exposure to industry, which is really what I was hoping for, but also got the chance to travel internationally. I was working in England for a year, uh, overhauling the social security system of the United Kingdom. So uh, so I had some pretty, really interesting, uh, exciting opportunities. But, but really, I think the reason the Lord had me there was because this Bible study was so critical to my launching in the faith. And so for four to five years, really, every every other weekend, I, that's how often we met, I was part of this Bible study getting poured into and ultimately finding my wings and starting to pour into others. But, uh, but ultimately, what happened is uh, the Lord uh, kind of gave me a disillusion about about rising to the partnership. You know, I really questioned why I was pursuing that. And I, I felt like the Lord challenging me, you know, with the question, why do you want to call those people your peers? And, and the, the truth of the matter was a lot of them are workaholics. Many of them were substance abusers, had broken marriages. And so you look at it and the only thing I was desiring of their lifestyle was the wealth and uh, the Lord just challenged me. Why is that so appealing to you? And and so it really undermined my my pursuit of the golden ring. And so I decided, you know what? Uh, I don't know why I'm pursuing this. And now, as a, as a believer, I want to find God's best for me. And uh, so that led me to to leave uh, Accenture and uh, went on the mission field. And and again, not a typical career path for uh, the Accenture uh, consultant, but uh, but uh, chose to go over with Heath with a mission in Amsterdam. This is uh, late 80s, early 90s, 1991. And um, I just wanted really to to give the Lord my career and, and lay it on the altar. And if he needed to slay it, slay it. Uh, if he rose it up, he would rise it up. But but ultimately, to be in his will, not pursuing uh, something that was of my own making. The words I used, and I borrowed it from a friend, was I didn't want to create an Ishmael. And if you know the story of Abraham and, and him uh, trying to fulfill God's promise in his life, uh, he just didn't wait patiently on the Lord. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but that's uh, very difficult for me to wait patiently on the Lord. But during that season, at least, the Lord gave me the grace to wait patiently, to set my career aside, see what his best was for me. And off I went to uh, Amsterdam and ultimately to Siberia. Uh, so when I tell people that story, they say, man, you must have really been a bad guy if the Lord had to send you to Siberia to work out your deal. So, Well, I, th- I think that's a really powerful illustration. You don't want to create your own Ishmael. How long were, were you a believer when you made that decision? Uh, so about six years, maybe five, five to okay. six years now, granted, I had grown up in the church. I knew yeah. scripture, so I yeah. had a head start. But but uh, I really did have a wealth of advisors around me. And 
like I said, I I, I uh, plagiarized that little yeah. line from one yeah. of my friends, but it just hit home to me that yeah, you know what? What am I truly after here? And and I don't think it's a one and done kind of question. I think it's the kind of question as believers we continue to ask throughout our life: What's the Lord doing with me at this season of my life? And what was the reaction within Accenture? Here's a guy who is on the fast track to becoming a partner and is succeeding and doing well. And you're seemingly giving all of this up to, quote unquote, go into ministry. Well, you're being very gracious. I don't know if they saw me as being on the fast track or not, but I can say that it certainly wasn't the typical um, next step of the career. And so, uh, as expected, you know, they, they didn't understand it. But I would take it even closer to home. Um, having grown up in the church, my, my mom was a solid believer. My dad, um, a very um, uh, thoughtful man, a very moral man. I believe he's a Christian, but at the time, uh, really wrestled with that decision of mine, and and not in a bad sense. I think really uh, his heart towards me, and why would you be giving up your career to go do this? And <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I had a really good answer. You know, uh, at least not in the material realm. In the spiritual realm, I had a great answer. Hey, I you know I want to make sure I'm in the Lord's will, but uh, but the, the world uh, doesn't necessarily understand that. I'm not sure I fully did. I just knew that in me was this desire to seek the Lord's best for me. And I felt like at that season in my life, I needed to go seek discipleship and and try to walk where the Lord was leading, where the Lord is moving. It's kind of the Henry Blackaby quote uh, from Desi- uh, Experiencing God that, uh, you know, find out where God's at work and go there. And what was the reaction within the Bible study amongst the guys that had been pouring into you? Yeah, they all thought it was pretty cool. Um, and and to be honest, uh, uh, one of the, the guys who had uh, uh, influenced me actually had done something similar um, previous. So it wasn't it wasn't really out of character for that. Um, this really was a, a Bible study that that wasn't just about hey, what does what does the Bible have to say? We really were about doing what it said, and uh, and uh, so it was it was really a rich heritage. But they embraced it. Uh, many of them supported me financially and prayerfully as I as I went out uh, to Amsterdam, and and uh, yeah, really wanted the best for me. How much of a culture shock was it for you to leave corporate America and then get go on the field with YWAM? You know, having grown up as nomadic as I did and lived as many places, I think I think I was in a privileged position that when when the Lord impressed the thought on my heart, it really was no big deal, right? This wasn't like, oh my goodness, how could I go live on the other side of the world? It was like, okay, well, let's find the nearest storage place and get my stuff in there and get out of here. It really did happen quickly, and I was I was ready to go. Um, I would say, from that standpoint. Uh, the because of the nomadic nature of my uprise, uh, uprising, there was no, there was no real turmoil there. But I will say that, and again, I'm I'm, I'm borrowing from someone. I had really had to work out uh, kind of the suburban Christianity out of my spirit, um, mm. and uh, and you know to go from you know being independent, self sufficient to to living basically in a dorm again, and and. Uh, 
basically, you know, being subjected to, to leadership, you know, and again, you know, it's just kind of a humbling thing when you've experienced that taste of freedom to, again, subject yourself to, no, I'm, I'm here as a student. I'm here to learn. So there was a bit of a culture shock there, but I'd say the bigger culture shock was having to work out that uh, suburban Christianity out of my, out of my spirit. So uh, how old were you at the time that you made this move? Oh, mid to late twenties. So, describe those first couple of years out there in Amsterdam, and then in in Russia. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I went with YWAM Youth with a Mission, their discipleship training school, and and so for six months, you're basically in a classroom environment. Three months, actually, in a classroom doing ministry. In my case, on the streets of Amsterdam in the red light district, and. And again, that's eye-opening. Um, uh, but then for the next three months, you actually go out on the field. And my field location was St. Petersburg, Russia. And it was uh, after the wall had come down uh, in in Germany. It was before the coup that ousted Gorbachev. For those listeners who are younger, you'll have to go to Wikipedia and look it up. But, but basically, it was a time of great change in Eastern Europe. And uh, that's why I was fascinated by Russia. I was, I was fascinated by the changes that were going Went on there, and I had uh, when I was with Accenture working internationally, had the chance to go to Russia and see it, and so I just had this uh, this interest, and and uh, so in Russia, uh, you know, spending a summer working with the church, working with the people, you know, what I realized is, you know, my goodness, these these people are just like us; they're just people. Right. And 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 I having grown up in a military family, you can imagine what my thoughts were towards the the Soviet system that was, you know, oppressing them. Uh, But but at the end of the day, you take the government out of it and people are just people. Right. And they were hungry and they were hungry for the gospel. And then I I came out for about a two to three week period uh, from serving that church in St. Petersburg. And during that two to three weeks is when the coup that ousted Gorbachev happened. Yeltsin comes to power. Massive change. Massive change. And I'm back in two weeks after the coup uh, leading a team or, or managing a team. I wasn't leading it. I was managing the team uh, going doing an a, a evangelistic uh, expedition throughout Siberia. And to say that things were in a state of flux would, would not do it justice. I mean, it had turned on its head. Uh, but I'd had the opportunity to, to see hey, who I'm going to serve here are people who are hungry for the gospel. And, uh, and so it's, it's really a beautiful time. I, I, will, I will share one other thought because the juxtaposition of being in Amsterdam versus being in Siberia was very interesting to me. I haven't recounted this in a while. So I, but but what, what came to me was uh, Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. And in, in Amsterdam, probably the freest society in the world, at least the freest society I'd ever seen. Anything goes, you know, drugs, prostitution. Uh, it's just legal. You know, it's just, it's crazy. It's a different model. Um, and yet the people are oppressed by that freedom. They're oppressed by the, the freedom to, to use drugs, the freedom of prostitution and, and pornography. Then I go to Russia where it's been oppressed, truly oppressed by government restrictions, not allowing the name of Christ to be taught, um, not allowing re- uh, religion to, to flourish. And, and here I am uh, in this moment of transition when, you know, everything's up in the air and I could go f- freely uh, preach on the streets without 
worry of intervention by by any government official and people would come to listen you know and and they were just so hungry for the gospel so that juxtaposition of well what what really is freedom right and freedom doesn't come from these material freedoms the the freedom to do anything um it, it really is a freedom in christ and and that juxtaposition sticks with me today so going through the show prep, I noticed that you wrote about a Shadrach experience in St. Petersburg. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, one of the things after we did this tour through Siberia, we had this opportunity to align with a bunch of other artists and do a Christian artist seminar in St. Petersburg. And it was a big deal. I mean, it was a, the mayor of St. Petersburg was involved, you know, and it was a big, it was a high profile thing. And since we were coming from Amsterdam, uh, we had our equipment already in the country um, from this tour that we had just completed in Siberia. And so they were going to use our equipment for um, the rock stage. Fine, you know, and I was managing it. And so once all the dust settles, the the thing's over, I've charged with getting this equipment out. Well, apparently I'm not a very good manager because I really didn't have a good plan for doing that. And uh, uh, so I go to the docks to try and figure out how to how to get this equipment out of the country. And it, it's just a very difficult experience. And I had gone to the festival organizers ahead of time and asked for their help. And I really didn't get any. And I, I really felt abandoned. I really felt like, ah, you know, hey, thanks for letting us use your equipment. Good luck getting it out of here. And, and so I'm there on the docks, um, you know, in this big shipping hall in, in St. Petersburg. And I can't get any attention. I just can't get any help. And so finally, I jump up on a table in the middle of this big hall. I pull out a wad of dollars and I start yelling, hey, I've got American dollars. Who wants to help me? You know, that kind of a thing. And just to try and get some attention. And, and I was able to work out a deal or the Lord worked it out to get the equipment back. So in the end, right, after all the dust settles, it's like, hey, well, no big deal, right? I mean, you know, the equipment got back. Everybody's happy. But for me, deep in my spirit, right, I'm like, God, why did you put me in that situation? Right? I, I mean, I felt completely abandoned by those who I had, you know, tried to help and didn't see any reciprocation and and really, you know, could have ended up with egg all over my face if I couldn't have gotten this equipment out of there. And I just really felt exposed and abandoned by the Lord. And and this went on for about six months. You know, it wasn't wasn't front of mind, but it was deep in my spirit. And and finally, uh, one day, just hearing the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you know, I've Again, we all know it, and it's it's such a classic moment where you're hearing a story you've heard, you know, umpteen times, and the Lord, you know, taps me and says, "Hey, hey, what do you think about that story?" You know, and and he's 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 challenging me with this this thought. Do you think when they came out of the fiery furnace, they were asking, "Hey, God, I, we could have gotten burned in there. What were you thinking?" You know, and and obviously they didn't, right? They were they were rejoicing over the fact that the Lord had delivered them, and yet my thought wasn't, "Hey, look how the Lord delivered." My thought was, "Look how close you brought me to peril." And it's really how we look at a situation like that, right? And and it's the maturity of the believer to be able to say, "You know what? I am signing on for this. I'm signing on for the journey." And there is no promise that it's going to go smoothly. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And and it was just the Lord gently showing me, hey, relax, I'm in control, um, but 
I'm not saying it's going to be a smooth ride. You know, if you want on the journey, you're welcome. But just know, and great things are going to happen. You're going to have incredible experience, but it's not always going to be smooth. And and again, it's just one of those things. Even as I say it now, it's good to be reminded. You know, the Lord's there, but uh, but you know, my job isn't to worry about how close I come to being singed. My job is to trust that the Lord's going to deliver. Have you found yourself? Since then, referring back to that story and thinking, oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I learned that. I don't want to relearn that lesson again. <laughs> yeah, I might think that, but it, it's, a, it's a lesson I have to relearn again. You know, again, I, I so wish in life, especially in the Christian walk, that it was a one-and-done experience, that you take steps of faith and then you don't have to take that particular step of faith again. But the truth is I'm forgetful. And I think we all are. And so it, it's, it's really a matter of saying, hey, I can draw on that now for this next step of faith that I need to take, but don't think that I'm exempted from having to take that next step of faith. I'm not. So then where did you go after St. Petersburg? So I say it this way, the Lord was gracious and he you know, tells me, you know, hey, you're not really that good at being a missionary. Why don't we put you into something that you're actually good at? And uh, so I, I really did try. I really sought, you know, if the Lord would have me be a full-time missionary, and I, I really felt like it that those doors closed. And uh, so I came back to the United States to uh, continue my education. I got my MBA, uh, Master's of Business Administration. But but again, it was one of those opportunities where uh, I had choices to make, and and I really felt like you know what I really want to do is combine those two worlds that I've just experienced this Accenture world which is very much a bottom line oriented profit oriented excellence oriented and YWAM which is I mean it's an excellent organization but it really is kind of a ready fire aim kind of uh, where's the spirit moving we're going to go there it, completely different cultures so how could I merge those two worlds how could I how could I bring the excellence that I had learned at Accenture into the zeal I had experienced at, at YWAM. And so in going back to get my MBA, what I was really looking for is a way to transition into a career that would allow me to merge those two worlds well. And so I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, going to Vanderbilt University, not so much because of Vanderbilt, though it was a great experience. It was because of its proximity to the Christian communication world. And I knew that I wanted or felt like that would be a place where I could merge these two worlds of a, a for-profit mission uh, but with a uh, passion for getting the the word of God out, whether it be Christian publishing, Christian music, Christian video, uh, I was involved in all of it for the next ten or eleven years after I finished my MBA, and and it really was a great experience. I, I really felt like I had found my calling, my home. Uh, I, I got married in Nashville, I had my first child in Nashville. Um, became an elder of a church. I mean, you know, for a nomad, it was, you know, uh, it was great, right? I was finally starting to put down roots. Um, and so that was a great season of life. And at the end of the day, I really did feel like I was merging those two worlds of being able to propagate the gospel, but do it in a way that was, you know, bottom line sensible that really fit who I am, you know, as a, as a person and the gifts that the Lord's given me. And is that where you're as you call it, your personal 9-11 happened, was in Nashville? Sort of. Um, so I uh, had this experience about six months after I was married um, where um, I had a medical emergency pop up. And uh, and it involved 
not an all-night surgery, but uh, you know, pretty well into the night, well past midnight uh, kind of surgery. And uh, and that, that began a process uh, that lasted about seven years and uh, culminated in what I call my, my 9-11 experience um, because uh, by the time seven years had passed, I was no longer in Nashville. I was living in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, but um, a lot had transpired. And, uh, uh, but, uh, I ended up going back to where I had this, uh, this surgery, uh, seven years earlier and finding out that, yeah, you know what, uh, we've gotten a good seven years out of it, but, uh, we've got another problem now that we've got to take care of. And it was just one of those things where you hope, right. And, 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 you know, our bodies are fallible and I learned it at an early age, but you hope, you know, that, Hey, that was a one and done experience as well. And, uh, it just so happened to be, uh, uh, nine 11, 2006, when I'm in New York city getting this diagnosis that, you know, Hey, we've had a good seven years, but, uh, but unfortunately, we, we, we've got to go back to the drawing board here. And, uh, and I just remember flying out of New York City, looking out over the, the spot where the uh, Twin Towers had been, and just counting my blessings, right? So, so, again, hopefully from a mature perspective saying, you know what? God is good. I can look at this as, as a real negative. And it was a shock. It really was a shock. But, but, uh, but at the same time, I've got my life overall. I've got my health. I've got a family. Uh, I'm good. But, but uh, what I say is it was just interesting to me that that happened five, on the five-year anniversary of 9-11 that uh, this, this, was a, this was a 9-11 for me. It was, it was really one of those shocks to the system where once again it's like, Lord, what are you up to? You know, what are you trying to teach me here? Um, and 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 uh, at the same time realizing, you know what, I'm not going to let this undermine my faith. I'm going to walk with the Lord through the valleys that he chooses to take me through, whether I wish to go through them or not. What exactly happened then? Did you lost your job? <clears throat> yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, so I, I had left the music industry and uh, video industry and had uh, taken this position in Chattanooga, kind of doing what I'm doing now. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but uh um, really, the Lord had done amazing things during this season while I was there, and uh, it was really around the topic of generosity. And uh, uh, I had taken this position with a ministry and, and just learned a ton and, and uh, was really there to, to help people understand biblical generosity, especially those who have been entrusted with much. And while I'm there, probably six months into it, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You know, anybody who started a new career knows that feeling. But uh, but I'm 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 running hard. I'm learning fast, and, and the Lord kind of taps me on the shoulder and He says, "Hey, uh, you know, in case you're wondering, you're here for you, not for them." Well, I'm helping minister to really ultra wealthy Christians on this topic of biblical generosity. And when the Lord kind of impressed that on me, you know, my reaction was, well, I don't have anything. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who was the missionary. I mean, I've already given that up, you know. And, and what the Lord revealed to me there was that uh, generosity is a heart issue. It's not about money. It really is about the heart. And that uh, my heart was still divided. And I, I needed to get clear. I, I needed to be applying these biblical teachings to my heart and my life and my family. How was and it so divided? The Lord, how, how was your heart divided? 
Well, it, it, you can't serve both God and money. That yeah, that okay. kind of idea, and this idea of you know where do I get my self worth from? Well, in in America at least, I think I'm not the only one with this problem. A lot of times we get our self worth from our net worth, and and God was just making it clear the two have nothing to do with each other, right? And and so I, Jeff, I need you to get very clear on this that who you are is defined by who I am not by your success in the world. And, uh, and again, it's one of those lessons. It's not a one and done. It's a continual lesson. But for me and my family, what that meant, what the Lord challenged me to do is something dramatic for us. Uh, so dramatic, uh, I say it took me a week before I even shared it with my wife because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't quite get it to land. I was like, well, if the Lord wants me to do that, that's going to put our family in a difficult situation. <laughs> and uh, maybe this is Satan. Maybe this is Satan trying to test me here or something or trick me. Or I, I, you know, again, I just didn't know. But, but, uh, but what it was is to, 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 to make a uh, sacrificial gift that was bigger than anything I'd ever even considered, let alone done. And uh, so I took it to my wife. I, I told her what the Lord was impressing on my heart. And she's much more generous than I am, much more faith-filled than I am. And she was immediately just like, well, if the Lord's saying it, we got to do it. And I, you know, I'm wanting to show her a spreadsheet, you know, saying, well, let me, let me show you what this means to our lifestyle, what this means for us personally, the risk we'll be under. And, and she was like, I don't need to see any of that. If the Lord's telling you to do it, that's what we need to do, which is, you know, praise God for a godly wife. But, but uh, so I did. So we did. And, and, um, so I'm learning all this stuff. I'm in a sweet spot. I'm, I'm uh, applying it practically, uh, sacrificially in my life. And so it's all good. And three years into it, I get fired and, you know, I've never been fired before. I mean, you know, it was what something, uh, and, and, I don't want to get into the details of that, but the, the, the challenge for me was this idea of, well, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to be your guy. I'm trying to, to, to apply what you're teaching me to a sacrificial level. Um, why would you take me through this? It was really a test of faith. And um, so it was during that time, right after I'd been fired, that I go to New York City and find out, you know, after seven years that, hey, it's time to start over, you know, on my health. And so I've got these, this one-two punch that's rocking me. And, 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 you know, I'm just like, God, I don't know what you're up to. Did I miss you? You know, is this, is this what are you up to? What are you trying to tell me? And, and what the Lord graciously did, and really for the maybe not the only time in my life, but certainly a very significant time in my life, took me to his word and, and just revealed to me his scripture. And for me, it became a life verse from Psalm 112, verse 5. Uh, Good will come to him who is generous and willing to lend freely. He will have no fear of bad news. He will conduct his affairs with justice. Mm. And, and I just felt in that... Um, that the Lord confirmed very personally to me, you're not on the wrong track. What you did was of me, and, and, and I still love you. This trial is not um, a punishment. Um, it's a refinement. And, uh, and, and I honor you for, for how you've lived for me. Um, walk with me through this journey. And it gave me the hope, right, to, to say, okay, uh, I, I, 
I'm, I'm trusting God's in this. I, I don't understand all the details, and I may never, the side of heaven, understand all the details, but I'm going to continue to walk this path. And so where I may have otherwise been led to to run away from this generosity movement and say, well, hey, I'm not doing that again. That's craziness, you know, because I put myself in a vulnerable position, and then in, in some ways my worst fears are realized. Um I have since doubled down, and I and I did it because I felt like the Lord confirmed in me. Nope, this is this is the journey I have for you. I didn't say it was going to be easy, uh, but but uh, you're in you're in my hands, Jeff. For there are listeners right now who are right in the middle of that refinement season, yet they see it as a punishment. They can't see the forest for the trees. They they're in the midst of this pain. They either lost a job, their spouse has walked out on them. They have a wayward kid. Something is going on in their life where they are in the thick of it. Give them just a bit of encouragement from from the pain that you walked through. Yeah, well, again, it's it's one of those things. I don't know how much encouragement I have to give other than this. Uh, Paul says, I think it's in Second Corinthians one, comfort others with the comfort you've received, right? And and so that's what I offer is the comfort that I received. The Lord is good. The Lord is good all the time. Uh, but in this world, we will have trouble. Um, for me, um, I found great solace in uh, Isaiah 43. Uh, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and the waves will not overcome you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned for I am the Lord your God. And it, it begins by saying, I have called you by name. You are mine. I have called you by name. And so for those who are suffering, and I understand suffering, for those who are walking through the, the valley of the shadow of death, for those who are in the wilderness and, and God isn't speaking, that's what I offer them is the word of God, that uh, I believe his plan is for you, that he wants to refine you. So let me join you in, in asking the Lord to reveal, you know, uh, see if there is any unclean way in me as, as David wrote in Psalm 139, um, and, and, and get that out of the way, obviously, if it's not of the Lord. But then if, if you've confessed uh, some unconfessed sin, if you're, if you're truly seeking him, then you, you walk the path as, as um, humbly as you can, trusting that the Lord will work good out of this situation. Um, you know, you look at the story of a Joseph and 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 you see you know how he was betrayed by his brothers he was sold into slavery and yet ultimately raised to be second in the kingdom um you know uh, in saving uh, israel really in the process uh, the lord has plans for each of us they're not necessarily easy plans um so keep the faith so what drew you into this generosity movement and specifically, what drew you out of where you felt like you were at home in media and and into this? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So, so I'm I'm a vice president at a major Christian publishing company. Um, it was at the time we didn't publish it, but it was at the time Rick Warren had come out with Purpose Driven Life, selling you know 25 million copies or you know maybe 29 million now, but huge, huge success. And and what the Lord challenged me with is, look, either one's good. Right. If you leave your job as a vice president, there'll be a hundred people ready to line up to take it. If you take this position over here, you know, no one else is interested in it. You know, so either one's good. You make the call. And and I just felt like the Lord was was giving me an opportunity to walk the path less traveled. And uh, and I just decided to take it. Uh, There's more to it. It was one of those real intense, you know. Lord, where are you? Where are you leading here? And and for me, interestingly, uh, I wasn't getting an answer in prayer. I wasn't getting an answer through Scripture. And it wasn't until I I actually laid it down and I said, I can't think about this anymore. I, I love what I'm doing here in in Nashville. I feel like I found a home, and and to to give that up is going to hurt. Um, I'm intrigued by this other thing. And I think the Lord's in it. Generosity, again, it wasn't necessarily something that I felt like I had to do, but it was interesting to me. And and what the Lord compelled me with was a National Geographic. And I don't generally read National Geographic. And I happen to have this on my coffee table for some reason. And it was a double issue in, I think it was 2003, uh, on on the uh, world slave trade. Now, we hear a lot about it today in sex trafficking, slave trade, modern-day slave trade. But at the time in 2003, I picked it up and said, what in the world are they even talking about? You know, I just had no concept for this. And, and I read it, and the Lord revealed to me just kind of this, this impression of something I had seen of Christian ministry that was out there trying to end the sex slave trade, to end what I was reading about. And what it struck me with is, hey, you know what? Yes, I can stay here in my publishing job and loving life and being comfortable. If I leave it, they're going to do fine. They don't need me. Here's an opportunity to go into a world of helping uh, influence generosity and helping open Christians' eyes to the things that they're passionate about. It may not be the world slave trade that ultimately is their call, but to call them to to use what they've been given for the ills of this world, to help to help expand the kingdom in this world. And that's what the Lord showed me through this National Geographic is if I took this role, if I stepped into the space of generosity, I could influence uh, significant dollars for the kingdom expansion. At, at a later time, it became more refined for me. And and specifically when I was leaving, uh, going through that uh, personal 9-11, uh, when I was leaving uh, the, the job that I had had that started me down this generosity path, trying to decide, do I stay in this space? Um, what I was challenged with was, well, could I go back into the public sector? Could I go back into the for-profit sector? And and the Lord basically said, well, you know, I think you realized, Jeff, early on in your career, if I'd given you success at that point, it would have killed you, right? It would have been like heroin to an addict. You know, you just needed to break that. Uh, do you feel like that's been broken? Yeah, Lord, I really do. And, and Jeff, do you feel like you'd be a, a non-sticky conduit that if I really, if I really blessed you, uh, with great wealth, that you could be a channel of that to the kingdom. 
Yeah, I really do think so, Lord. I, you know, again, I won't know until I, I experience it, but I do think so. Okay, great. So let me ask you this, Jeff. If I could show you a way that you could be a conduit for the kingdom of God that was 10 times your wildest imagination of how successful you could be, make it 100 times more successful than you could be individually, would you take that opportunity? Would you take the opportunity to see the kingdom of God funded 100x over what you could, in your wildest imagination, do? And, uh, and my answer was, well, you kind of got me there, Lord. I, I, I guess yes, because to say no would be you know, the epitome of selfishness. Uh, and, and that's what I think the Lord, at least for this season, has called me to, is to see the kingdom of God funded in a way that I can't personally do it. I'm not personally gifted to do it, um, but to help influence others to do it well. Uh, who may have that gift of wealth creation and help them understand why the Lord has given them that gift and to help them channel the fruits of that gift to seeing the kingdom of God expanded around the world. And is that where you are right now with Waterstone? That's right. Yeah. So I have the privilege of walking with those who have been entrusted with much and helping them uh, see more efficient ways to give, primarily giving uh, out of things other than cash. Um, uh, but really aligning with their heart's desire. Um, I, I, I say where to give is not my responsibility. That's your responsibility when I come alongside a giver. The Lord has been clear. There's certain things that he's passionate about in his word, right? He's passionate about the orphan and the widow and the alien in his church. It's just clear you can't read scripture without seeing it. But then he's put passions in each of our hearts, you know, and uh, for some people, it's, you know, the ending of the slave trade. For some people, it's education. For some people, it's clean water. I don't have to be prescriptive in that, where they give, but just the fact that they need to be giving because the Lord has created us in his image, right? Uh, I, I like to quote John three sixteen, and 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 break it up because it throws people off. Uh, for God so loved the world he gave. Just stop there. God loved, so he gave. That's the God we serve. That's the character of God. Stewardship's a mighty important topic. I'm a big believer in stewardship. This isn't about stewardship. This is about generosity and generosity being the heartbeat of God that God loved, so he gave. And he gave that which was most precious to them. If, if I'm created in the image of God, if you're created in the image of God, um, then we experience God most when we live generously. And that's the opportunity I have in terms of walking alongside people, helping them understand the truth of that transformative thought, but then acting out in a transactional and tactical way, living it out. And in the process, if these folks are you know, wealth creators or people who have been entrusted with much, the the, the fruit of what they can do, you know, the, the ripple effects on the kingdom are incredible, right? But, but it, it isn't really about the money. And I don't really even think it's about the fruit. I think what Lord, the Lord most, is most interested in is our hearts. And he loves those who are wealthy just as much as he loves those who are poor. And he wants their heart to be fully his. But uh, as you know, I think here in, in the United States, uh, we, we are like fish in water. We just don't have any idea how, how blessed we are, how wealthy we are. And, uh, and so it, 
it uh, it's hard to get people to break out of that pursuit of more, that quest for more. Um, and, uh, and and but that's the opportunity I have is to be able to come alongside people, help them realize your self worth not defined by your net worth. That uh, we're made in the image of God, who when He loved, He gave. We should we should go and do the same. What sorts of stories can can you share of people who wake up to that? kind of generosity and that kind of um, just dialing in with God like that? Well, boy, just a lot. And, you know, the, the ones that, you know, would be easier to tell are the, the big dollar ones, you know, because, because, you know, when you got a lot of commas and zeros behind the dollar sign, it gets your attention. But, but I really think it's the more uh, simple stories. You know, it's, it's the, the less profound stories, right? It's, it's the, it's the itinerant pastor in India who uh, basically on <laughs> less than a shoestring is going out and, and releasing uh, girls from the sex slave trade, right? I mean, it's, it's not a story you're going to necessarily ever hear, but you know that the person who gave that thousand dollars that's going to support that guy for a year has allowed him to release hundreds of girls, right? From, from the sex slave trade. Um, it, it's, it's things like that. It's, 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 it's at a, at a, at a smaller level. There's a, there's a new friend who uh, right now is bicycling across the United States and he's doing it for his daughter who died much too early, but her passion was clean water, uh, in Africa. And, uh, she became sick with leukemia and ultimately died. And uh, with a play on words, they've named this uh, ministry Jesse's Well. And and so in order to draw attention to what her passion was, he's riding <laughs> literally across the country on his bicycle to be able to just raise awareness. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing, right? It's a father wanting to honor his daughter. It's a daughter who, despite her illness, really was desiring to see uh, people, you know, live a better life. And and uh, so the kingdom of God is just interesting in that. One one last thought, and and I really believe this that that it is both the recipient and the giver who get blessed by the gifts. And I get to see it all the time where I see the fruit of what is being done with what's been given, but I see the heart of the giver being released from uh, a tie to materialism and uh, to learn to trust God. It really isn't about the money. At the end of the day, God is concerned about our hearts. But uh, here in America, um, materialism is a big issue. Uh, one guy in California, who's a pastor, said it this way: If we were a church in Africa and we uh, didn't address the issue of AIDS or poverty, we'd be largely irrelevant. If we're a church in North America and we're not addressing the issue of materialism, we're equally irrelevant. And yet, unfortunately, uh, this is one of those areas that often just doesn't get addressed directly by the church. Uh, greed, I say, is the unspoken sin. Um, generosity uh, is, is really kind of the last frontier of accountability. Uh, people can come into, uh, men's groups have come a long way towards uh, allowing men to, to be able to reveal, you know, uh, and be in accountability relationships with one another. But it would totally freak 
my men's group out if I came in and threw my checkbook down and said, here's what I make, here's what I'm committed to give, and I want you to hold me accountable to it. Because then they would feel like they'd have to do the same thing, right? And it's just this last frontier of accountability. It's still a taboo topic within the church. But when you are allowed into that sacred space and you can have these conversations with people who are on a journey of generosity, uh, it's a beautiful thing because you see their heart changed. You also get to see the fruit of what they're doing. So I, I have a really privileged position. So what is Waterstone? Explain to the listeners, what is Waterstone? What is their purpose? And how do they find you? Yeah, so Waterstone uh, is a giving bank, for lack of a better term. Um, if you think about your checking account, you put money in and then you draft it out to the utility company or you know wherever you need to, to send the money. Uh, with a giving bank, you put the money in and you grant it out to the various charities that you want to give it to. People will say, well, why can't I just give it to the charity directly? And the answer is you can, but uh, having a single repository – just like your checking account for all your money's going out, uh, having a single repository for your giving just makes life a lot simpler when it comes tax time, right? Instead of uh, 10 receipts to the 10 different charities you supported, you get one receipt. So we're a giving bank in that sense. And once you get the concept of, hey, Waterstone's a giving bank, I can you know, use it as my repository for all my giving, then what opens up to you is, hey, it's not just that it can simplify my life, it's that there's a lot of things that I could be giving that aren't cash that make a lot more sense with the, the tax code that we're privileged to be under here in this United States. And I mean that sincerely that our government has made these exceptions for charitable giving that really are quite generous. And if people, especially wealth creators, are creative in terms of giving out of their businesses, right? So if they've started a business, giving a piece of their business is a great way to give. If you're in real estate, giving a piece of a appreciated real estate property, great way to give. But even just for the average person, it'd make a lot more sense for those who are invested in stocks and bonds to give out of appreciated stock than giving out of cash. We can help them do that. And certain charities can handle uh, the lower end of that spectrum, the appreciated stock. Most charities would not be able to help you with a gift of real estate, would not be able to help you with a gift of business interest. Last year, we took in a one of my favorite gifts was 29,000 pounds of almonds. Um, and, and people say, well, what did you do with them? And I said, well, we, we sold them right at the dock. I didn't want them in my trunk of my car. You know, It's a lot of almonds. But, but nevertheless, it made a great deal of sense for the grower of these almonds to give the commodity. But again, most people don't think in that way. And in order to give in that way out of business interest, out of real estate, out of commodities, you really do need what I would refer to as a charitable bank account and, and an organization that's astute in being able to receive these different types of asset classes. That's what we do. One last push for people. Why generosity? Well, I, I've said it already. Uh, we're made in the image of God, and God so loved, he gave. We're never more like God than when we live generously. Unfortunately, I think um, the church has not done a great job of promoting that. Uh, there's a fear about talking about giving within the church because it seems self-serving. But it's a discipline, just like 
prayer is a discipline, just like fasting is a discipline. Generosity is a discipline. Giving is a discipline. And I, I have found in the process of pursuing the generous heart of God, there's joy in the generosity. And uh, so at the end of the day, it's a hedonistic discipline. You're going to be the beneficiary. Certainly good work is going to be done that's going to, you know, bless people, uh, make the heart of God smile. But at the end of the day, God cares about our hearts. And I fear that in this country, like a fish in water, we just have no idea how abundantly we've been blessed. And the only way to to break that cycle of um, greed, for lack of a better word, is, is generosity. We've got to do something to disrupt because we live in a a society that thinks more is better and much more is much better and and the generosity is good for the soul it's good for the spirit and it puts us into contact with the true character of the god in whose image we've been made if you'd like to learn more about jeff or waterstone be sure to find links in our show notes eternalleadership.com slash zero nine two that's eternalleadership.com slash zero nine two. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online at marketplacerock.com or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. Next time on Eternal Leadership, the author of Essentialism, Greg McEwen. I think that ultimately, it's about knowing the priority of your life. The word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was singular. Uh, And very sensibly, for the next 500 years, it stayed singular. I mean, I just want you to reflect on that for a moment, that nobody in half a millennium even thought to use the word priorities. That's important because in the 1900s, as we get into the Industrial Revolution and we're throwing out everything, right? You know, all the old ideas, some of them are bad ideas, some of them are outdated, but some of them are just true and we're throwing it all out. One of the things we threw out was this idea of singular priority. What is the first thing? Learn more about a concept that John says has changed his paradigm. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder. And thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.